413 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. And, you know, we love local politics on this show. <laughs> and uh, so we have brought back into the studio in our continuing series of mayoral candidates, and there are many. Jolene Letcher. Jolene, thanks for being here. Absolutely. You are one of the people that I think are really excited for how long yes. this political cycle has turned into. <laughs> if you are an AM radio host with a talk show, this is gold, man. You gold. You hit the jackpot. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a nice ride. So, you were in here the day you announced. We only had like 5 minutes or whatever it was. And uh, so now I've been I've been knocking everybody down in the uh, in the list. And then we're just going to start over and do it again. All right. Because it's too much fun. It, and it is. And you know what I think is interesting about it is the topics and the conversations continue to evolve. Mm-hmm. And the old journalist in me is like, right, well, I talked to them about that a couple of weeks ago, but now there's this new angle to it or this new um, area to look at. And there's just new issues all the time that all we're going to talk about here in a second. But uh, first of all, uh, how's it? How's the experience for you? When, when you were here last time, it was still kind of... Couple hours old. The the rumors of you running to the point where you announced was pretty pretty narrow time frame. I mean, you surprised some people, so you did that, and you've been out there now. What have you been doing? A lot of um, getting to, of course, hear the issues, talk to people. Um, you know, doing coffee meetings, going and meeting with department heads, seeing what's out there. Yesterday, I spent the afternoon with Mark Cotter, and we got to go to water reclamation, mm, which mm, mm. I know, I know. But I was excited about because one of our businesses is uh, internationally. It's known for dog DNA testing. Mm-hmm. And so I understand, like, how microbes eat things and digest. So nice. when we were out there and we we're talking about microbes, I was like, oh, this is fascinating. It is really cool, actually. It, it's it the, the whole water treatment process is is really neat. And you don't think about it. People never think about it, but it's really cool. It is. It's so fascinating. And then, you know, in Mark's defense, he tried to prepare me for one of the, the buildings we went into. He's like, it's going to smell really bad. <laughs> and I'm like, you've smelled nothing until you've smelled, you know, some of the stuff I've been around. Until you're running a, a, a doggy do. What's it? Do do? Do gooders. Do gooders. Do gooders. Uh, which was one of your. How long have you been in the, the dog do business? Um, well, not including when I was in news. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But um, thank and, you. No, you're welcome. <laughs> That's as good as it gets. We uh, we started during the Great Recession. Oh wow! And which you know at the time um, we were looking for a way to make some extra money, and we knew that in our hearts we wanted to be entrepreneurs. And I say we because it was a joint venture with myself and my husband, and so we said, well, you got to do what. Who has a name, by the way? He does have a name, Nate Burdine. There you go. Yes, um, or future first lady man. <laughs> taken to yeah, and we just said, you have to do what pil- people are not willing to do. Mm-hmm. And we said, people aren't willing to pick up mm-hmm. their own dog poop. And so it was the Great Recession, and we cleared out the last $300 in our savings account. We took an old Daylight Donuts bucket that they had thrown away, mm. and we started scooping poop. And that's evolved now here more than 10 years later to we're in six states, and we do dog DNA testing as well. And we're the What do num- you do with dog DNA testing? What do you do? Pun intended. Um, so the dog DNA, DNA testing is, um, so in this area, what it's primarily used for is swab the cheek of the dog when you move into a property. And then if there's a specimen found, they ID the poopetrator. 
and then the property can find them. So primarily HOAs and condos Got and it. apartment complexes. Um, but we'll be adding on to that early 2018 a service that's essentially like a 23andMe for dogs. <laughs> Got so it. you can know if your dog has a higher propensity for cancer or certain diseases. And or if it's truly a whatever it purports to whatever be. Whatever it says to be. Yeah, yeah so we're adding that on. But yeah, we're the number one distributor in the world. That's impressive. Uh, who knew, right? Who, when who you start, knew with you. <laughs> It's constant, isn't it? It's just it a constant series of puns with you. Um, no. Uh, so you've been out talking to people. I have. And it's, that's a full-time job, right? It is. Um, what do you hear from people in terms of what they're really... What, there's things I talk about mm -hmm. and that sometimes we think are important, but what is really important to people? You know, one of the things that I hear a lot about, and I think this is one issue that you do bring up, is the issue of traffic and transportation mm -hmm. needs in this city. And that's one that I'm really excited to be looking at and looking at solutions for is what does public transit look like in this city? Mm -hmm. Well, um, let's get right to it because <laughs> it's on my list, as you know. Yes. Um, what does public transit look like in this city? Well, it doesn't look like what it does today. And, you know, it's we are currently, I feel like, running a bus system, public transportation, in an, with a system that is more like it's 1968 and not like it's going into 2018. So some of the ideas that I'm really excited about looking at, um, Ford Chariot has a program that it's called, or VIA, where they use microbuses to help service communities that are a little bit smaller. And who's, who's that idea? Ford Chariot. So for, it's, it was a startup called Chariot, and then Ford bought it. Ah, got it. So it's the actual Ford Motor Company. Ford, yep, yep. And then Chariot. Yeah, and got so it. there's a software component in it oh, okay. that uh, allows them to essentially run, run like a 20-passenger microbus through. It's another competing company called Via that does the same thing. And Via is interesting because that's being rolled out in Arlington, Texas, which that's a city that had no public transportation options whatsoever. Really? Yeah. And can you, I mean, that's a good size city. Yeah. And I, if you've ever been to the Metroplex, you know that it's, you know, 12 lanes of traffic in every, it's a, it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. And they didn't have, they consistently in that community had voted down bonds for bus systems. So they brought in this system called VIA and it's the same principle in that it is essentially microbusing people. Um, so I think those are things we need to look at. There's software out there and ideas that I think we need to be tapping into and really utilizing innovation because we are living in this era of innovation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, do we need to be looking at a system to where maybe what we have, the physical buses or the transportation is tiered, um, that we don't use the big, big ones through the whole city? Mm -hmm. um, I live way out on the west side of town. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you are to get to a bus there, you have a lot of walking to do. Yeah. It's a, it's a big winding, Route 10 mm -hmm. is a big winding serpentine deal that is not particularly efficient unless you live very close to it. And, you know, we have, as far out as we are, we have low-income housing. And so if we're going to talk about, as a city, giving people economic opportunities to get to their jobs and to get, you know, if it's to the core, we need to also be providing them transportation to do that. And what are the more efficient ways that we can do that? Um, there's also a program, a smaller community outside of San Jose, that is piloting a program that essentially uses, um, like, a cell phone beacon at bus stops and that people will hit the beacon or the button yeah, and the software on the bus routes the driver there. So they more use a, not necessarily a grid, but a, a space that that a driver zone? runs, a zone area. And that's where the driver routes to. So if there's no one from here, you know, I'm talking on radio and pointing. Right. But no, it, I do it all the time. It, it's good. <laughs> you know, if, if there's a mile where no one is, 
they can route the most efficient way to get to where someone is. That's interesting. Yeah. So there are these. And that's not the solution for everything everywhere. No. Right. But it could be here or maybe it's a modification. I think we've got to really be aggressive about looking at that. Um, And we, you know, I do hear that a lot. Um, I hear, you know, a lot of people, we talk about public safety Mm -hmm. and safe and strong families, which Mm -hmm. of course is from my work uh, with Jolene's Law and Child Sexual Abuse is um, very close to my heart. And how do we as a city lead in those issues? Mm -hmm. We're talking to Jolene Letcher. She is a candidate for mayor in the upcoming election. Upcoming, I say that, but it's in April. <laughs> April, next year. The, the the flowers will be back before we have this election, but we're, we're in for a long haul, which is you know, great for me. Um, so uh, I want to touch just back on transportation for just a second, and then we'll get to public safety, and then we'll talk more about other stuff. But why, my understanding and my experience is that transportation is either the number one or among the top couple unmet needs in the city of Sioux Falls, meaning more people say they need help with transportation than anything else. How come that doesn't rise up to something that we actually talk about at a governmental level? I think sometimes that is reflective in what does our our leadership look like? And that's not to attack. Mm-hmm. Um, that's simply to say that, you know, a lot of us have access to a car readily. And so our day-to-day reality is having a car. Um, and that if you don't live that reality that a lot of people in this community do, where having a car is difficult to do or to figure out, um, it's hard to remember that that is for a lot of people their main issue. And that's one of the things I've been excited about is getting out and talking to so many different people. And there is a feeling sometimes, I think, in government as a whole, and especially in the day and age that we live, that government doesn't hear the people. Do you, you know, one of the amazing things that I've learned in the past, I don't know, whatever years, is that how many people actually use the taxi service, and God bless taxi mm-hmm. drivers, okay, and this is nothing against them, to get to school and get to work on a daily basis to the point where uh, uh, the gentleman from Metro Taxi who was in here the other day, um, his name escapes me, I'm sorry, he's probably listening, this is that he's giving people like bulk rate for, you know, five days to go to work or to school or what have you. But even though he's cutting the price because it's regular business, it's still really expensive in terms of the proportion of somebody's income. That alone should wake people up in this community to say, all right, this is something we actually need to have a broader discussion about. I know you say it's about leadership, but how are you going to get that into the broader public consciousness? I think it's you have to have a leader that's willing to speak about it and talk about it and make it part of their agenda. But but also, Patrick, I think what's important is I don't believe that when we look at issues the city's facing that we look at them in silos or standalone issues. So if we say this category here is an issue with transportation and public transportation, that is not a standalone issue when you look at the economics that it feeds and it drives. When you look at the health and well-being of the city, if someone can't get to a doctor's appointment, Mm -hmm. what is the economic impact if they then can't go to work? They're problems that live within each other. And, you know, from my legislative experience and the work we've done with Joel Lane's law, Mm -hmm. one of the things we were very proactive with is when we look at problems, when we go to find the solutions, we don't just bandage it, we look for a a treatment, for a cure. And I think that's where, too, you get between a difference in 
what I would consider a politician's repair for something or a Band-Aid and a public servant's. It's going to cost money, right? It's going to cost money. And so if we are going to talk about a Band-Aid, you've got to rip the Band-Aid off. Um, but what is the economic impact long term in those things? And I, our public transportation right system right now, it, it's not making money. No, um, and so they don't make money. They and don't make not, money, and they're not made to make money. Right, that's not why the it's there. It's a, it's a, it's infrastructure like roads or uh, sewer or transportation is infrastructure just like anything else. So, ah, uh, I just got, I just got a note. This just in my earpiece from uh, Uber producer Dan Peters, John Hodgson. I, why can't I remember that name? John Hodgson of Metro Cab. He was in here the other day, and we were talking about this. And, and uh, of course, John's involved in some other issues. So sorry about that, John. No. Uh, shout out to John. There you go. Um, and it's a nice segue. We are going to come right back and talk about other issues other than transportation uh, after this break in the news. This is the Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000 KSOO. 433 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. We are continuing our conversation here with Jolene Letcher. She is a candidate for mayor of your city of Sioux Falls. Jolene, did I, I, did I, use, did I said that right, didn't I? Yeah, you said it oh, right. Gosh, yeah, you had, why did you I look a, like you? No, you did. had a little panic on your face. Oh, no, I was okay, going to say, good. and the city of opportunity. The city of opportunity there. Yes. Thank you very much. You know, sometimes when you talk, like, especially, uh, you know, I've not been in this business so long. Everybody knows that. And sometimes I'm talking and I'm wondering, did I, what, what did I just say? <laughs> so <laughs> when they had that look on your face, I thought I had screwed up your name. No, you, you had somebody not. Else. No, wow. you are, you are all good. Wouldn't be the first time it happened. Um, let's talk about uh, the parking ramp. Yep. The, the private partner, private public partnership downtown to build a $50 million multi-use parking ramp, hotel and retail space uh, on the block and 10th street there just off Phillips. Um, there's been some criticism about the cost of the parking ramp to the city, which out of 50 million is roughly 20. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think it's too expensive? You know, I I didn't see the other RFPs or the, you know the other proposals or options that came through. Initially, does it feel too expensive, especially as a taxpayer when we're talking about a city where you know our sales tax revenue is is pretty much flatlining? If it feels like a lot, but also knowing. Um, that, you know, initially when those price per parking spot mm-hmm. numbers came out and that it was double what the average was and uh, Councillor Neitzert went through and he did mm-hmm. did all of his amazing calculations mm-hmm. that, that he does um, and you could see kind of the reasoning behind it. I think what it does is it definitely, it puts a stake in the ground for future development down there and I think it continues to encourage growth in our downtown, which is really good. What I really like about it too is it is that public-private partnership. And those are the things that move cities forward in this day and age. Um, those are the things that I think we're going to have to continue to do as a city. Um, these you know, 3P projects, as they call them, it's one of the things that I think is crucial for us as we look at building out an entertainment district and that area around the Denny Sanford Premier Center is those have to be public-private partnerships to make those move forward. Public, of course, being the first part of that and always knowing that the public's money should be spent in public. And that, that for me, is so important, especially when we talk about transparency and, you know, it's our money. Mm-hmm. So let's know where it's going. Do you think we should know more about this deal than we do now? I think, you know, when it comes to there's been that discussion, right, of mm-hmm. RFP selection committees. And, mm-hmm. and, those and this was an RFQ, which is a little different, but the, the RFP, but the, broadly speaking, the RFP is uh, essentially, um, 
it's it's closed until it's announced who it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was an RFQ. Do first of all let let's talk about the RFQ first, which is a little different, and this private partner because this is a we've never done this on this scale before. Should we know more about who is involved in this? deal if in fact we are a partner with them with public money and i, I just want to clarify what you're asking there is you do we need to know who the investors yeah, are yeah in the project? absolutely yeah. who's involved i think there's no reason we shouldn't know okay um i think that you know it's our partnership with them and you know we have to be an open government for people to feel like it works and we live in a time when people feel like there are all these secret deals and things they don't know about and you know, it's the public's money. Mm -hmm. And for me as mayor, public money will be spent in public. Mm -hmm. And if there are people that don't like that, they're going to have to get used to the way I lead. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, you know, that is fed by the importance of transparency. And I will always go back to democracy dies in the darkness. Yeah, that's the, uh, the new Washington Post slogan. Um, The, uh, would do we need a change in ordinance to do these? Do we need to just go back and look at the ordinances and say this is what needs to be open and when? I think so. And you and I come from a background where, you know, sunshine is good, mm-hmm. and when we know what's happening, that fuels better ideas mm-hmm. and better belief in the ideas brought forward. Right, and that if if people don't know who's involved, they have a right to question it. Mm-hmm. Right or wrong, right? Who, whoever may or may not be involved in something, if people question it, then they question the integrity. And if they question the integrity, what follows? A lack of trust in the system. Hmm. And we have to ingrain trust in that. And that is done through a foundation of transparency. And so if we need to, as a city, go back and look at these ordinances and say, here, here are the things we need to revise and change so that we are leading in a way that the public can see what's happening, then yeah, we need to do it. The culture right now uh has been to not give up information. The parking space calculation is a perfect example where Joe Sneevy, for the arts leader who wrote that story that was so criticized, asked for the information, was not given it. If the city hall would have just given him the information, it would have been a completely different story. They knew it. They chose not to give it to him. Uh, How do you change that culture? I mean, that's a cultural problem there. That's not a legal problem. Uh, do we need to change the laws because the culture has gotten so bad? Is that the problem? I think we have to, you know, as an administration, not look at, first of all, not look at the fourth estate, not look at journalists as our enemy, but to look at them as a partnership, as a way to... Let's not go too far. Yeah, I know, (laughs) I know, blur that line there. But I guess, you know, my my point, Patrick, being is that when when you hide things my belief, is when you hide things from reporters and journalists or you you make the process difficult, you're really making it difficult for the people. Mm-hmm. And they, they don't deserve that. Uh, switching topics briefly. We're here with... Uh, now, see, I'm, uh, now I'm sorry. I got you to, paranoid. I know. And I, I paused there. Jolene. Jolene Letcher, candidate for mayor, former TV reporter, uh, current business person and uh, advocate for children of victims of child sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's your title now. It's, it's a long one. Let's talk about poverty in the community. Um, the Sioux Falls School District uh, statistics are pretty stark on this issue. And 
I think, demonstrate that we have areas of our community who are much poorer than other areas of our community, and we have created a segregated community of rich and poor. So you look at a collection of, of about half a dozen schools in the core, and you've got rates of poverty in those schools based on free and reduced lunch that are 90% to 100%. You look at schools, not even in the suburbs, we're just talking about in the fringe of the city that are in the teens. Then you get into the actual suburbs, and it's even lower. So this is a classic, classic case of white flight, uh, uh, affluence flight out of the city. What can you do as mayor to have any effect on that trend? So I think there's there's a couple of things to look at. And what we know is if you talk to in the Sioux Falls Thrive folks or, or anyone with the chamber, and where we're growing um, economically is that 100,000 mm-hmm. plus market, you know, area, and then, you know, that $25,000 range. And that, that, that middle is shrinking as well. But I think, you know, we can continue to make the core a place that people, all economic backgrounds want to live in from, you know, no matter what your tax bracket is. How do we continue to make living in the core appealing to not just the those that may be struggling financially, um, but those that are, you know, all the way up through that spectrum. And that's why I think one of the things we really need to continue to look at, too, is mixed income housing. Um, I was in Denver a few months ago and met with their mayor, and we talked about their downtown has had tremendous success with mixed income, mixed use housing. And part of what that does, too, is it's a way to be sure that, that kids and families, they interact with people across all spectrums of the socioeconomic um, world, but then it's also a way to be sure that some of these other issues that we, we see and become concerned with, you know, your neighbor is your neighbor, regardless mm-hmm. of, of you know, what that, the money they make may be. And we have fabulous neighborhoods in the core, and I don't know why this happened, but there often is a perception when people move here, other than McKinnon, you know, which is very affluent, mm-hmm. um, but it gets very non-affluent affluent very quickly um, as you move away from there, that those neighborhoods are somehow dangerous or they're, I don't understand that. How did that happen, Jolene? You know, I think, unfortunately, it becomes people live in their bubbles and there tends to be that tendency of you don't see, you don't know what you don't see. Um, and we have amazing communities. We have beautiful houses, um, if you know Adam Weber, who's the pastor at Embrace, and Adam, uh, a couple weeks ago, he uh, he lives up by the cathedral and was talking about how he loves his neighborhood and he loves the diversity of his neighborhood and was trying to encourage you know more people to go there, buy these homes that need some TLC and to help support those communities or those parts of, of our community as well. So, you know, um, is there one simple answer? No. Um, but I think, too, when we're starting to look at, at the issue of poverty and diversity and how do we bring together different parts of this city, um, it's, again, looking at problems holistically, right? I, this, I would just answer this quickly. Yes. We have lived under a concept in this city that to just go out, 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 and it's been very profitable mm-hmm. for the developers. Um, there's no question about that. There have been a lot of good jobs associated with that there's, in the trades. There's no question about that. And that has been an economic model just here, but not just here, but across the country. What would you change in city policy mm-hmm. to encourage redevelopment or more development 
in town and better use of the land as we start to move out. We seem to just keep doing the same thing over and over and over, and it causes a lot of problems. What policies can you change in City Hall to encourage some other type of growth and redevelopment? Well, you know, I think part of that is going back to this idea of, you know, if we look at mixed income housing, um, mixed use, mixed income housing, those are things that I think from a city hall perspective we can champion. Um, We can, uh, you know, look at it from... There's a lot of powerful interests that, moneyed interests, you know, Mm -hmm. and this is not a bad thing. Uh, Profit is a high motivator. And how do you stand up against that as the mayor without seeming like you're not pro-business or not pro-economic growth? Well, I think, again, we've got to be looking at things holistically. And and that means that, you know, and I live on the edge of town. Mm-hmm. You know, I am on the, the, the far west edge of town. That's that's where I live. That's, that's where we are. We've been out there for a while. Um, but, you know, we need to also, from a, a city hall perspective, let's encourage some of these neighborhoods um, you know, like McKennan Park, where we've we, we were fortunate that that has been a neighborhood that's really grown. Mm-hmm. Um, Pettigrew Heights, I think there's been been some work there, but let's continue to be uh, aggressive as a city and as an administration to encourage people getting down there to from a um, you know, do we need to go in as a as a city as an administration and help bring some of those homes back mm-hmm. and encourage people down there? Um, and you know, it is a balancing act of what makes money. I'm a business owner. I understand that, right? You you have to also be profitable in that. And so how do you manage the growth on the outskirts where it is cheaper in a lot of ways because you can buy that land, you can hold it and, and whatnot. Any any uh, city planner will tell you that growth doesn't pay for itself though. That it's subsidized by the city. Well, and that's, that is the city should help the city grow, right? At the Mm -hmm. end of the day, the city's job is to make all of our lives better and to invest in our well-being and the city's growth as a whole. That is, that's what government's role should be, right? To enhance the well-being of the community. We're going to come right back on that note and talk more after this break with Jolene Letcher. She is a candidate for mayor in the April election this is the Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000 KSOO. 448 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. And we are talking with Jolene Letcher. She is a candidate for mayor of Sioux Falls in the April election. One of eight. One of eight. One of eight. Is yes. it uh, hard to punch through the din when there's eight people running? I think when you've got a great message... It makes its way through. I'm, I'm proud. I was looking at our numbers. Uh, we've had 50,000 minutes of content watched just on our Facebook page. Then you also have uh, kind of a series of YouTube mm-hmm. uh, ads, essentially. Videos, yeah. Um, are you, would you call your uh, campaign uh, uh, bare bones? I mean, are you able to raise the kind of money that some of these, that some of the other folks who have been doing it for a little longer you know, Jim Edmond, well, yeah. I'll use him as an example. Jim's been going to run for mayor for a long time. He knows a lot of people. He's been involved in the community forever. He can raise a lot of money. Can you raise money like the top tier guys can? We're working on it. That's for sure. I think um, you know, one of the things that was said to me very early on when I made this decision that stuck with me was uh, someone said, if you can't write yourself a check for $300,000, you better not even do this. Hmm. And that stung because, you know, Patrick, 
people in the city, very, very few people can do that. Right. And if the expectation is that the person that leads the city in City Hall has to have so many zeros behind their, their tax return number, then who's really getting hurt? In this city, and you know, we've been really excited with with the turnout and the fundraising efforts that we've had. We did make this decision to go into this race later than anybody else. When you talk about it being a surprise, that that decision for me, um, it wasn't years in the making. It wasn't even a year in the <laughs> making. Um, and so, you know, we have we have gone into it knowing that um, there is a diversity of candidates in many different ways. And you know, we know that message is resonating in a lot of different ways. And for us, that's also being very smart about how we get that message about. about. Which is that the YouTube uh, ads um, have been very creative as well. I mean. Thank you. Uh, are you, you're, I look at it as you're make, trying to make the best of what you got. Knowing what, uh, knowing what I have. Um, and, you know, one of the businesses we have is an advertising agency. Right. You have it's, cameras. I do have cameras. <laughs> I do. And so, you know, people come to these elections and these campaigns with different resources. Right. And and maybe that resource is 100 percent cash. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that resource is, in my case, um, having an advertising agency and the ability to make videos and, and resonate with people and communicate with them the way they are communicating. Mm-hmm. The other thing I come to this race with is a perspective of ideas and innovation that hasn't been seen before. And I think that's really important to be a business owner, to have been in that startup world, and to know what it's like to make good policy. You know, that is a unique s- structure there. Uh, in the, we're here with Jolene Letcher, and in the last few minutes that we have left here, a bit of a lightning round. First of all, do we have bad roads? People say we have bad roads all the time. Is that just a perception? Depends on where you live. You know, I live on Ellis. It's rough right now. Uh, it'll get rough through the winter, and but it gets rehabbed again. I think we've got to always just stay on top of it. Um, otherwise, but people complain about the roads and and that we've got these terrible roads, and how come nobody can fix them? To me, I think that they're dreaming. Our roads are great. Ride a bike on them for a while. Our roads are fantastic. Is that a perception that you have to overcome, and an expectation that every road is going to be smooth as silk? I think it is it a lot perception. Um, you know, I would say there are communities, larger communities uh, to the south of us, for example. If you go driving around there, they don't have what we have. You mean Sioux City, where both of us have worked. We in both the past. have worked in Sioux City. <laughs> yes. So uh, if you drive the roads in Sioux City, not what you get here. But that said, people have a high expectation, and that's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to continue to strive to meet that, and um, you know, I think that's work in progress. We got to keep doing it. Sales tax has been flat. I hate to dop, drop this on you in the end, but we have we've had f- <laughs> flat sales tax revenue. Um, how do you adjust the budget priorities? Mary Huther says it's got to be roads and infrastructure, and, that, and that's it. Do you agree with that? I think um, those are the day-to-day needs of government, and those have to obviously kind of remain at the forefront. But also, if we are not proactively investing um, in what is going to grow this city beyond just roads and infrastructure, um, we're going to be biting ourselves down the road. Um, you know, and I can tell you, having been in a been in a business where we literally bootstrapped as you and I were talking about, with $300. Um, There are the necessities that you have to learn how to pay for, but to grow a business, there are also things that you know you have to move forward with, and you've got to shift those dollars at times. Yeah. Jolene Letcher, she is on the ballot for the April 10th election. You got it. 
And that's the first round. And then there's a runoff. May 1st. May 1st. And there will most definitely be a runoff because I don't think anybody's going to get 51%, but we'll, or 50% plus one. 50 plus one. Yeah, I'll so take the plus one. There yeah. you go. Uh, so that's uh, it's going to get pretty crazy here. Are you ready? I am so excited. Outstanding. Yes. Uh, thanks for being here, Jolene. Oh, thank you. Thanks for, I got a selfie with your bike. Oh, nice. That's sweet. Uh, look for that on Twitter. This is the Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000 KSOO.